You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. This is Susan Simmons, your host, and uh, once again, he keeps showing up. I guess that means you're actually going to continue to be the co-host. Well, I'm trying to do that. But we got to come up with a better name than TomTheBomb.com. That's old news. Yeah, that was when I had to be an alias. pre-retirement. Right. And we need a a new name. Yeah, especially since I've been retired for 11 months. And assholes probably already taken on another podcast. So we probably (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's fitting, though. I mean, you know, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Stupid's another name. I mean, you know, that fits most of the time. Well, you're a male. That's what we say. It's scripturally sound. There you go. Anything exciting? We really haven't had anything exciting. Well, we had another trip. Where'd we go? We went to Sholo. Right, but we well, we had that rainstorm. Oh, it was we did hail. Yeah, I love yeah. driving my almost new car in hail. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Didn't get any damage to the car, which not was that good. we've seen. Yeah, I hadn't crawled all over the top of it, but I looked pretty close. That, okay, that day, the next day, I guess it hasn't even been yeah. washed. I need to take it and get it washed. It's nasty. Yeah, well. Actually, if you were any kind of friend, you would have done that, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Just saying. Hey, I'm I'm not your husband. <laughs> no, you are not. No, no, that, that title will never be worn again by anyone. I'm done. Yeah, I, I'm not stupid like some of y'all that do it two and three and four and five. One and done. Uh, that that was enough. I still like the story of the guy that married her his ex-wife Same woman six, six times. times. That's crazy. Yeah. Would have married her a seventh time, but she died. She got the better end of the deal. (laughs) There's no question about that. (laughs) But anyway, we have a very special guest today. And somebody, I have to tell you, my first shock in this after watching him stand up to city people, to police department administrations, was to find out he's 21 years old. Because I really thought that he was older than that. Maturity wise, <laughs> not look wise, not look wise. Everybody, everybody looks 12 to me, Ryan, and you do look 12, dear. But the guts that you had yeah. to stand up to Chicago City and Chicago Police Department, man, I was cheering you on. I said, if you could have heard me, I would have been standing up screaming, preach it, brother, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So our, our guest to be is here today. Ryan Clancy. Um, just so everybody knows who he is, I'm sure maybe some of our listeners may have heard him on a couple of the news stuff. He's He's been in the media and a lot And we shared lately. it on Under the Shield's yes. Facebook. And yep. first, let me say that your loss is a loss to all of us. Yes. And your Thank sister's you. death is a line of duty death. There is no question about it. Yep. Um, that is a thing for 30 years that I have really tried to get departments to understand. And it's mostly because of failure to train law enforcement, all first responders, really, in that area of stress management and it not being solely reactive stuff. We got to get out of this reactive vein and get into proactive because there is stuff. 
And so your sister is a hero. She always will be. She will never be forgotten at Under the Shield. And we just want you to know and your family to know, because you come from a law enforcement family. That, Absolutely. That your sister is a hero and that we consider um, what happened to her is the department's fault for bad Thank policies. Yeah. And it was definitely a line of duty death. Yes, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, I think with uh, what these officers go through, um, they only really prepare them for the physical side of the job, not really the uh, mental side and how to deal with the things you're going to see, how to go home and still manage your life outside the department. So, uh, yeah, I think that's something that uh, they definitely need to prepare them for, even more so than the physical sure. aspect. Sure. Tell us about your sister. We, we want to know who she was. Yeah, she was uh, someone who uh, really brought people together. Uh, she was a she loved her family. Uh, she loved her friends. She enjoyed having a good time. Uh, we grew up in a very big family. Uh, my mom has uh, seven siblings in her family, and then uh, there's five in my dad's family. So uh, plenty of cousins, <laughs> aunts, and uncles. And uh, yeah, I had seven I in could, my uh, mother's family too. And boy, yeah, th those are big yeah, families. So. Um, but you could ask any person uh, in our family, extended family, uh, they all had their own relationship with Patsy. Uh, she made an effort to speak to everybody. It was always wondering uh, how you're doing, looking for the next fun thing to do, next fun thing to plan. Um, she really was somebody that I looked up to, and uh, she was always there for me when I needed her. And how much age difference between the two of you? She's eight years older than me. Okay, because I, yes, so I, I, I heard you say she was your best friend. Yes. Yeah. She, uh, she's my best friend, but also my uh, bodyguard. She uh, definitely <laughs> protected. I have a brother who's also a year older than me. So uh, she protected her uh, little brothers all the way, but uh, she also uh, helped prepare us for uh, life and showed us, you know, especially how to have a good time. She was uh, really the life of the party. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear all of that. <laughs> yeah. I know what that means, prepared you for life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my kids, our daughter's the oldest, and there's only three years between them. But, yeah, I found out a lot of things she did to prepare her little brother to be a Marine and didn't know it until they were out of college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are stories to be told on another day. <laughs> yeah, those are things that parents find out later. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's absolutely. for sure. Definitely. But did she always want to be a cop? Yeah, growing up, uh, that's all she ever wanted to do. Um, so my dad's actually a lieutenant with uh, CPD, and then uh, there's five generations of police officers within our family, so... Uh, she was the next in line. She was a little badass growing up. Uh, <laughs> tough girl, tomboy, I guess you could call her. Uh, she played sports. Um, she was never shy, um, never backed down from a challenge. And uh, she always said she wanted to be a Chicago police officer. She wanted to help people. Uh, I remember my mom even, uh, she would worry about her little girl and tell her, you know, Pets, why do you want to be a police officer? There's so many <laughs> other things you could do. And uh, she's like, okay, fine. If you want to be a police officer, that's fine. But why don't you do it in you know, one of the suburbs, you know, not in Chicago. And she's like, no, mom, you don't get it. I want to be a Chicago police officer. Uh, that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to help uh, in her own community where uh, she felt like people needed it most. Sure. Now she worked from what I, what I remember is um, she worked in Inglewood. Yeah. That district. Yeah. So 
for us that don't live around Chicago area, what is, do you know, can you describe that kind of area, what it's like? That part yeah. Of Chicago? So she worked in the seventh district, uh, which to anyone who knows about that area is, uh, definitely the, uh, toughest challenge, the uh, most violent area in Chicago. Hmm. Um, not a great neighborhood, but she was always up for the challenge. Like I said, she wanted to serve and protect in communities that needed it most. And, yeah. uh, Inglewood's definitely a place that uh, needs the police and needs their help. So would you say she's an adrenaline junkie? <laughs> I, I think so. I think she had to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, for years she uh, she rode on the bikes, actually, uh, through Inglewood. So she was on bike patrol for a while. Um, her and her partner, Jalil Dennis, they would uh, ride around and uh, protect the streets. And she always actually said, you know, the people who actually live and reside in Inglewood, they're good people. They want their neighborhood to be protected. It's right. the gang violence that comes in. It's people from outside the neighborhood. That's really uh, messing that up for them. Sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how long was she actually on the streets? Uh, for seven years. Okay. All right. Because that yes. Academy up there is how long? Uh, the Academy is six months. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's one more caveat to, I guess to kind of show what a badass she was. Oh yeah. Cause she went through the Academy. How? Yeah. She, uh, <laughs> she went through the Academy while she was pregnant. Um, I don't know how you so had that. Yeah. I, it was when she first told me it was literally right after we were, uh, you know, she was preparing for all the physical tests <laughs> and, uh, we're doing push-ups, sit-ups, things like that in the living room. And then we go outside and uh, she put this little thing around her dog's collar, uh, her dog Marley. It said, uh, like, uh, going to be an uncle 20, uh, 26, December 2016. And I was just so confused. I was like, what is going on here? Marley's going to have uh, puppies? <laughs> she's like, Brian, I'm pregnant. And I was just like, wow, that is uh, amazing. I don't know how you were just knocking out those push-ups and things. And, uh, she said, honestly, in the beginning, it wasn't as tough. It was towards the end where it I was bet. really starting to show. And, uh, but she was able to make it through, uh, nothing was going to stop her from graduating <laughs> that academy. She gave birth how much later after finishing the academy? So I believe she graduated the academy. Uh, it was either August or September. And then she had uh, my nephew, Scotty, in December. So that was three months wow. after. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. He, that, three yeah. or four months after. <laughs> She's more woman than I ever was. I'll just tell you that right now. That's wow. crazy. I, I always say that's why that little boy is in such good shape, too. Uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a little athlete. Yeah. Must have been from all the uh, work he was doing while uh, she had him in there. He was doing push-ups right <laughs> along right. with her. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was there for the ride. Little Scotty's saying, come on, Mom, don't give up, <laughs> don't right. give up. <laughs> exactly. I'm doing as many as you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Did, the, did the PD have a problem? I mean, they didn't know she was pregnant till after she got out yeah, of the academy? Yeah, so she did not tell uh, anybody. Um, she Well, our family knew, and... Uh, I'm, I've actually talked to some officers in her graduating class and they knew about it, but she didn't want like people in charge to know and tell her, you know, you got to take time off and right. do this thing all again. She was ready to uh, <laughs> keep that to herself and keep pushing through. And, Especially uh, once you start, did. you know, once you start yeah. the academy, you don't want to stop midway yeah. and go, okay, I got to redo this. No, no, uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> I'm sure she's like, yeah. let's, she was, let's she was ready push to get through. out on those streets for sure. <laughs> when did you first looking back now when did you first really start to see that she was kind of struggling with things 
Yeah, I think it was, uh, let me think. I'd say maybe about a year or so ago. Um, actually, no, let me go, let me backtrack. I'd say about four years ago was definitely the hardest of life. Uh, dad passed away. Um, her and I actually have different dads. Um, and uh, when her dad passed away, I know that was very difficult and hard on her. Um, they had really gotten close in the last few years of it. Uh, his life when uh he got sick and uh she uh her and scotty spent a lot of time with him um for that first year of scotty's life is when uh he was really getting sick and on his way out so it was definitely hard to see uh him go as her father and then for her to see her son's uh grandfather go was definitely difficult on her but she uh battled through that a lot she was always looking for signs and positivity and talking about um you know, how proud of her he would be. And, uh, yeah, I think that's when she really, uh, started having a hard time. And then as time went on, um, you started to see the longer hours. You started to see the, uh, no days off, which is really hard for her, especially, like I said, she's a big family person. She likes to spend time with people. She's always moving around doing the next thing. And, uh, it's hard to get all that done when you don't have any time off, you know, it's hard to yeah, right. take care of your five-year-old son, let alone have a relationship with all these other people sure. outside the police department. And, uh, that definitely started taking a toll on her as well. Well, I know in, in one of your interviews or something you referenced that she had sought mental health help. Yes. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So she, uh, saw a few different counselors on different occasions. Um, some she was happy with, and uh, she told me that it definitely helped her. But there were other times where she would get, she came out of those meetings even more upset. Uh, I remember one specific counselor, I won't share any names or anything, but I know uh, it was right around Christmas time. And the holidays were always hard for her, um, especially with you know her dad not being there anymore, um, taking care of her little boy and all that. So it was always a stressful time of year for sure. sure. And uh, as a young mother and uh I remember she scheduled this meeting with a counselor and uh, the first thing she was actually at uh, my house, my, my uh, mom's house. And uh, she actually drove off in her car cause she had this meeting. It was a zoom meeting or whatever during COVID over the phone meeting. And she said the meeting started and it was supposed to be an hour long. And she, the lady, you know, asked how you're doing. She's like, you know, I'm stressed out and stuff. How are you? And she said for the next 30 minutes, the lady just went on and on about how she's having the worst time ever and how hard her life's been <laughs> so she's like well what am i oh am i here to you know counsel you yeah, like no kidding. she said she just talked about herself and whole problems the whole time and then by the time the meeting was over she felt like she didn't even get to really let anything out and she was like well if you're having a rough day i'll just let you you know be i won't take up your time sorry to reach out for this and uh Man. i know that was really hard on her sure and then there was just other times where she would try and schedule appointments uh with her work schedule and things wouldn't match up because she only had so much so many hours of the day off and they couldn't mm-hmm. find time for appointments and stuff like that and i just completely disagree with that i think that needs to be available anytime the officer needs it exactly um, if you're going to make them work those long hours with no days off then you better be there for them when they need it because uh they're going to go through some things that uh, they're going to need to talk about. Absolutely. Right. And that's, you know, I, I have friends that are not in law enforcement that fuss at me about the hours that I work. And I go, look, the population we work with doesn't work nine to five Monday through Friday. Yeah. 
you know, their days can be swing shifts. Their days can be graves. Their days can be days. They can work Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. So how can you just provide services Monday through Friday, nine to five? You know, it's enough for them to have to get to the dentist and a doctor's appointment, but then to have to do the mental health side of this thing is absolutely ludicrous. And, you know, have you, have you had any response back from the EAP for Chicago or anybody that knows anything about mental health for the police department? Yeah. So there are some EAP counselors who have been uh, in touch with our family who have been incredible stopping by when just uh, to check up and things like that. But uh, I know as a whole, I know many officers are very uh, scared to talk to EAP and tell them how they're really feeling because, you know, they don't want to, they, they still want to be able to make it to work the next day. Even mm-hmm. even when you're dealing with something and you're <clears throat> under stress, you still have a job to do. Sure. And uh, they're afraid to say something, you know, where they might get their badge or guns taken right. away over something minor. And Absolutely. many, many officers have shared that with me. Or um, it's, a, it's just that, an you know, assumption. We don't, we don't want to speak to EAP. Right. Yeah. yeah, we don't. We, we want to make it to work the next day. We don't want to lose our badge, lose our guns over telling them how we're feeling. Yes. Right. Because if they you make know what, us, the way they're feeling, yeah. the way they're feeling is a direct result of the work that um, they're doing and mm-hmm. the violence in this city, but also the fact that they're working for a department that doesn't have their back. Right. I mean, right. They're uh, putting their lives on the line for them. They're doing everything they can to protect this city. And uh, when it comes down to it, the leadership isn't even protecting them whatsoever. And then uh, you have a state's attorney and Kim Fox who have these people that they're getting off the street and arresting and putting away and doing their job and making this world a safer place. She's letting them right back out. It's crazy. So it's like, what a a toll that takes on your mental health. You just put on all this work. You got rid of someone who is promoting violence in this city. And then, then then you might see them out on the street the next day or the next week or the next month. Or they're getting out before you even going home from shift. Exactly. If you get to go home from shift, (laughs) let's make sure that's clear too. Because and I actually, uh, I shared at City Hall the speech I gave. Um, my sister had an incident maybe a month or two before she passed um, <clears throat> about uh, a kid attacked her at work uh, during the day. Uh, she rolled up to a call by herself and uh, this kid, you know, um, battered her, attacked her. <clears throat> and uh, she uh, actually, one of the guys uh, on the corner who was... Uh, actually selling drugs on the corner came over and actually helped her and pulled this kid off of her and uh, helped save her, which I mean, she applauded and she's like, you know what? You're selling drugs. Yes. That's against the law. Great. But guess what? You're at, you're still helping. You're not, you're not hurting me or you're not, you know, causing violence right now. You know, you're taking away, you're taking a guy off me who's attacking me. And uh, she definitely appreciated that. But so that kid got arrested, went to jail said a few days later, she saw the same kid uh, walking the streets, wow. laughing at her, spitting at her. Like, it, it's a joke for them. And it's because right. of a city that doesn't have their back and that's letting them out. She said half the time when she's arresting people, they're, they're saying, oh, I'm going to be out the next day, you know, smiling, laughing. Like, yeah, they, they don't, don't even care. care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's just it's causing lawlessness in society. And uh, well, yeah, it's promoting about it. Do what you want to do. We yeah. may put you in cuffs for a little while, stick right. you in jail a little bit, and then you're going to be back out and you can do whatever you want to do again. And You'll probably go see, spend some time with some of your friends anyway. Exactly. <laughs> or family members. Yeah. yeah. And that also, that also is scary for officers because that's also making them a target. You know, the same right. people that just, that they just arrested. Now they see that officer that just arrested them. And, 
you know, they want to get back at them and do right. stuff like that. And that's, it's dangerous. It's, it's lawless. And, uh, you see all these people stepping down. I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, from the state's attorney office, uh, many people who work directly with Kim Fox have been resigning. Good uh, for I think them. There was five, there was five within one month. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And that- the day she gets out of office, I think, uh, this city will be in a better place, no matter who replaces her, because you can't do a worse job than that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think so either. Well, and you know, this is all hard on families and stuff too, because uh, again, the frustration the officers are experiencing now, it creates fear at home even because again, you're seeing how easy it is for, you know, look at New York, New York city, another prime example, this exact same stuff happening. And nobody's having to pay the price but the law enforcement officer right. and then their families. And yeah. that's uh, that has to be frustrating. Have you has your family or uh, any of you been contacted by the mayor? I'm just curious. No. And uh, yeah, the mayor has not directly reached out to any of us. Uh, she put out one statement um, in the news. Probably, obviously not even her own words. I'm sure somebody a spokesperson for her office or something like that. But uh yeah, one statement, and it was uh, almost identical to the last, I think, five or six um, officers that have died by suicide under her um, watch. So, uh, yeah, she and other families that I spoke to that have lost uh, loved ones to suicide uh, from the department, they uh, have not heard from her either. That's amazing. Well, and, you know, one of the things we want to make clear, on, and we've talked about this on podcast, and I want to make it clear to with you, Ryan, I've done this 30 years and law enforcement officers and firefighters and public safety people are safe coming to us and telling us they're suicidal. And um, the bottom line is this has nothing to do with mental illness. I think too many in the mental health field automatically want to label this mental illness. Is that the case in the general population? Don't know. Don't care. Not my field. I, I got my hands full right here. And it has nothing to do with mental illness. It has everything to do with being overwhelmed and a system that's not supporting you and a mental health system that is not providing the appropriate help. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our podcast um, a few weeks back about suicide in this industry. But one of the things I've been screaming for years is to be a sports psychologist, you get your PhD and then you have to take kinesthesiology. You know this stuff. You're you're an athlete. Yeah. You can't just get your PhD and go out and practice sports psychology. But if our athletes, which I agree with, do need specialization, why in the world don't our tactical athletes? And that's all of our public 100%. safety. And and they don't specialize. You know, we talk to departments around here and they're oh, we vetted our EAP. Well, what does that mean? They got a degree and they're licensed. Right. They haven't done firearms training. They haven't done ride-alongs. You know, I did full SWAT school when I started 30 years ago. I did firearms instruction. I did hostage negotiation training. I did everything I could to try to live some of this because I don't need to be a cop. I'm one. I just shoot people and we move on. Um, So it's not in (laughs) my best interest or anybody else's for me to be actually the law enforcement officer. I'm better on this side of the table. But you have to have some level of credibility to work with law enforcement. And sometimes, sadly, some of the worst ones we've seen have been cops. Retired that, cops that have gone back and got their degree. Yeah, and they go back and get their degree, and now suddenly they're above the people that they want to help. They don't know how to stay down there in the trenches with them. 
And it's just really frustrating. And when I heard that Dr. Soho, Sobo, whatever, <laughs> whatever his name was, and he really came across that he was blaming the officers for not getting help. That had to enrage you and your family. It enraged me. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the sad part is you're taking people who want to serve and want to protect and want to help their communities, and you're putting them in a situation where at some point they're being set up to fail, yes. uh, whether mm-hmm. it's the leadership not having their back. But it goes beyond that because before the leadership can even ever have their back, they should be giving them the proper training, like you're saying. Right. Because uh, you could do you know, all the physical training, you could take all the tests in the world, but what's going to prepare you for seeing um, – a dead child, what's going to prepare you for, you know, getting bullets fired at you, things like that, getting spit on day to day, getting things thrown at your car every day, Um, police cars being lit on fire, uh, just things like that. And the list goes on. I mean, there's terrible, terrible, traumatic scenes that you're going to witness. What's going to prepare you for going home to your family and then living a normal life with them? Because it's not a normal life anymore. Right. You're doing something that one percent or less of the population is doing and uh they're doing it because they want to help you they want to protect the rest of you so the thing is we we need to protect them we need to give back to them and do all we can to make sure that they're prepared they're being taken care of um and uh i can't speak for every department or every city but i know in chicago uh whether it's the superintendent the mayor uh state's attorney none of them have their back when it comes down to it well, Nobody. And, and, and uh, we've, we've tried getting in there. I've offered free training yeah. to Chicago PD so many times. And, you know, all those things you listed are things that, that bother officers. But I'll tell you some other stuff that I don't think the public even thinks about. But just like if your sister would arrest somebody for domestic violence and their children are in there grabbing around their dad or mom's leg going, please don't take my dad or my mom to jail, even though yeah. it is in their best interest and they don't like the way their parents act. But now the officer has, and especially with your sister having a child, the guilt yeah. of this kid crying, going, right. please don't take my mom or my dad. Those are things that cause great internal conflict here that they don't have 100%. a way of processing or dealing with because, again, they're taught how to do the jobs of arresting people or shooting or whatever. But it's the human side of this right. thing. They don't want you to be, they don't want you to show that human side. No. And just stuff it away. And, you know, your sister, I'm sure, like every cop we've ever known in this country, is being taught keep personal and professional separate in the academies. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. There's no yeah. way. Can't do it. And my sister shared with me on many occasions. Uh, I mean, I'm young, I'm 21 years old. And even just in my short lifetime, I've seen the way that society is turning against the police. Right. And it, it feels like it's a very uh, recent phenomenon in the past uh, few years where even my sister would tell me that the same people that used to, uh, she'd be riding around Inglewood and they would uh, shoot hoops with her. Um, they would give her water, give her food, just talk to her, hang out with her. The same people won't even look at her, won't even speak to her, won't even give her the time of day and treat her like she's a human being. And it, it's fear. It's uh, fear you're being instilled through um, through leadership, through media, through right. yeah. people that are saying, telling you that police are bad. And uh, yeah, it's just wrong. There's uh there's no respect. There's uh no fear of consequences. Nothing. There's no discipline. And uh, like I said, people who are being arrested are laughing at these officers, knowing that uh, the system is going to have their back more than it has uh, the officers back. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's wrong. 
society's heading in a uh, scary direction and something needs to change. Sure. How is the media responding to you there? Are, are they wanting to interview you or are you having to make them listen or how's that working out? Yeah, well, I think it's the same thing as uh, any big event that happens. Uh, right away, you get all these people who reach out to you and want to hear from you. And then a uh, couple of days go by and your, your story is kind of uh, nothing. And that's right. why I've been trying to do what I can to stay active and keep speaking about my sister because uh, it would take me a lifetime and then some to tell you uh, how much I really have to say about her and how much uh, how much she did for me and what I truly feel about her. So I don't want her to... Uh, her story to ever be forgotten. Sure. And, uh, not only that, but um, if I could take, you know, if I could stop the next officer from doing what she did, um, I'll do anything I can to do that because I've realized through giving these speeches and interviews and things like that, you know, I'm in no position to actually uh, make make a f- real change. Um, I'm not in any position to be, you know, a leader where I could pass laws or pass bills or things like that where we can make a real difference. But what I've realized that can do is, you know, you're not going to change the world, but if you can change the way that one or two or three people think about it, then you start getting people's attention. You start creating a movement. You start uh, getting people on your side. And uh, I think that's what we need. We need people to come together. We need people to stop going against each other because we need to realize that everybody has a place in this life. Everybody has, you know, a reason to be here. And for police officers, they have a very special reason to be here. They're truly making a difference in protecting our lives. And uh, I want them to know that their lives matter, yes. even when, even in a society that doesn't uh, always show them that. Well, and, you know, we've heard you make that statement before. And off the podcast, we're actually going to give you some opportunities of things that we think can help you make a difference. Because, again, this isn't something that under the shield, we're going to do one podcast and be right. done and move to the next story. We continue to talk about these things because, it, you know, uh, I've always been told the squeaky wheel. <laughs> That's right. And I'm 63 years old. I got no problem being the squeaky wheel. There are a lot of people who tell you that. <laughs> and, and it's not about all administrations are bad. Um, we've got actually one here in Arizona, um, Sheriff Mark Lamb that, you know, he's a stand-up guy and he takes care of his people. I don't understand where every department doesn't go, huh, he got no problem hiring right. people because everybody wants to work for him, so why don't we do what he's doing? Exactly. <clears throat> but these political uh, positions, we Tom and I were teaching a supervisor's class for, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of HIDA. It's a high-intensity drug trafficking area. It's a federal task force, and we were teaching okay. supervisors and um Somebody on our board of directors, he used to be head of Homeland Security in Alabama, and there was one sentence that that has just resonated, and I keep saying this to supervisors over and over again. He said, we need supervisors who are leaders who are more concerned with the mission than their position. And that is so important, and we just don't see it these days. It's more about... You know, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get fired? Am I not going to get promoted? Is yep. this going to make the chief mad or sheriff mad or whoever mad? Where's my career going? Right. And then we don't, you know, the 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 things that happen in law enforcement, especially, they want to go, oh, well, that must have been personal. That's why they did. <laughs> right. This had to be personal. Could have never, nothing ever is because of the job. No, of course not. And it really is something that we're just going to have to keep yelling and screaming. And again, we will. Yeah. 
And I really like what you said about uh, the mission because uh, I think that's what it really comes down to. It's what are you here for and why are you doing this? Are you here for your own personal agendas? Are you trying right. to, you know, have a great career and make a lot of money and get into a role that people will respect you? Are you here to serve and protect? And I think that's the biggest mission for a police officers to serve and protect. Everyone has their own stories and reasons as to why they became an officer and what motivated them. But at the end of the day, uh, if you're there to truly make a difference, then you're going to have each other's backs. Mm -hmm. You're going to uh, do the job uh, a lot better than someone who's, you know, in it for themselves or throwing you under the bus or uh, not protecting you when it comes down to it. And uh, I know that's the type of officer my sister always loved and wanted to be was the one that, you know, she knew had her back. And uh, I applaud the very large majority of her brothers and sisters in blue because they really did have her back and uh, they still do now. I mean, I've met more officers than I can count in this past month and a half. And uh, the support has been incredible. I, bet. I think uh, I see so many good officers, you know, at the, at this level or at the sergeant level, lieutenant level. But uh, why aren't these officers who really want to make a difference and be leaders and, you know, make this community a better place? Why aren't they the ones in uh in the roles to uh, be leaders. Sure. That's, what, that's what I don't understand. You know, you have a superintendent who uh, it seems like often goes against his officers. It, <laughs> it almost feels like he's just, you know, the mayor's little, little Butler, whatever she, uh, mm -hmm. whatever she says and whatever she believes, you know, he needs to back that up. And uh, that goes along with what, what are you here for? Are you here to uh, support the mayor? Or are you here to protect the city? That's it. Yeah. Right there. Because most chiefs do serve at the will or superintendents serve right. at the will of the mayor or the city council or the city manager or whoever it is. And, you know, sometimes you just got to stand up and talk about what's right, whether that's favorable to the mayor exactly. or whoever, because you'll get the backing of all your people. Yeah. You know, really go after a chief that stands up for their people that's being threatened with being fired, guess what? You'll have a big case of the blue flu the next day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, go, absolutely. Man, you stand up for us, we're going to stand up for you, but they don't do it. You know, Ryan, um, I know that you had said um, that Patsy had to work 22 straight days before she died, 12-hour shifts, that her days off were canceled. And I'm sure you've been talking to a lot of the other officers there. How long has this been going on where the PD has been canceling days off. And and I want to be clear about that. This was not somebody working extra shifts right. to make more money. She's this was forced. mandated yeah. time staying on the job. Yeah. And uh, I know my dad, I think, worked 18 or 19 straight days. Uh, he's a lieutenant for the CPD. Um, many officers I know uh, have worked double-digit amount of days. I actually met an officer... Uh, not too long ago, who worked 43 straight days, oh my days God. off canceled, things like that. Um, oh, and it's, it's, you know, and every single job in the world needs days off just, you know, exactly. to think about yes, just, just your mental health as a whole and, you know, dealing with things in your own life. You know, your job can't be your whole life. No. Um, there's, there's things that you also have to get done. And, uh, but if there's any job that physically you cannot take away their days off, it would be this one. Uh, one how that's many, very traumatizing and demanding. And, well, heck, uh, that, how many, that's the only one they're doing it to. How many people would get on an airplane if they thought their pilot <laughs> had flown that many days right. straight? I'm, I'm yes. not. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then and then you see all these people who have problems with these officers, and uh, 
are uh, saying how they're taking too long to get there and, uh, you know, how they're not doing their jobs correctly. Well, do, do you want an officer that's on their 22nd day, uh, exactly. 12th hour, come to the job? Or nope. do you want someone that's, you know, clear-headed, ready to work? Right. Um, and uh, it all just, I, I don't I don't understand the direction this society is going. You know, we're going with things like uh, people are preaching defund the police. and uh, Which is crazy. So if you have a problem, I just, I don't understand the logic behind it. So if you have a problem with police officers and the way they're handling it, wouldn't you want them to have, you know, more funding and more resources so that they can be better? And better it's training. It's going to get worse if you're right. going to take away their money, um, take away their funding. Uh, you're losing officers. You're losing health. Uh, you're losing resources. You're losing training. You're losing everything. I just don't understand it. If you have a problem with something, you think you would want to give more attention to it. Not right. less. But these yeah. communities that have been doing that though, now they're finding, man, our problems are going, they're uncontrollable now. Yes. What are we, what have we yeah. done? It's the, it's the first people who call for help when they need them. Right. But, uh, well, and your sister, there's no other way to look at it. Now, did she work days, swings, graves? What did she work? Well, they were doing 12s. So did they rotate shifts? Was she on the same shift for those 22 days? How did that work? Yeah, so I know she majority of the time she worked days. Um, she would usually work from I think it was like five a.m. till whatever. Right. I mean, normally an eight-hour shift, but you know, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, so yeah, she, she usually worked from about five a.m. till if it was a twelve-hour day, obviously five p.m. But her normal shift was like five or six till one or two. Um, How far did she live from work? Right. What What was her commute time? <laughs> Because I think in Chicago, there ain't you can't get three blocks in an hour. But <laughs> yeah, I think she was only she's probably only about fifteen minutes from her department, um, so nothing, nothing too crazy on that. But uh, yeah, still, um, still something that's demanding. I mean, you see, to and from work could be half hour, forty five minutes there, plus twelve hour days. What does that leave you in the day? That well, leaves you nothing. Eleven hours. Yeah. Eleven hours to sleep. Eleven hours to take care of a five year old son. 11 hours to just in, enjoy your life and, you know, sure. speak to people and do things you enjoy. And but that's also like if that. you get off at for 12 hours. Right. A lot of times I, you get held over. Held over. You know, you get a yeah. late booking or arrest or sure. you got to write paperwork, you know. Yeah. yeah, your sister was, I have absolutely no doubt, just like most officers we see, sleep deprived. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention Absolutely. vitamin depleted and, and the minerals and all of that stuff brings on the depression, the anxiety, the everything. This is what we see. And yeah, the it, mind, it's sad. The body needs time to uh, rest for sure, yeah. but even more so, the mind needs time yes. to rest. You need, yes. you need time to process everything you just saw. It shouldn't be, all right, you know, I just got to forget about that and move on to the next job. Sure. You know, because no, as much as people want to be tough and say that they can do that, nobody can do that. Nobody sees, you know, dead people laying there and then just forgets that. No. You, you don't forget that. You take that home with you and then you take that home to a five-year-old innocent boy who you never want to see ever have to witness this world. But, sure. you know, that, that probably scared the hell out of her too. Right. Because she saw, you know, the hardest parts of society and violence and just heartlessness. And then she goes home to her whole world, the, right. the happiest <laughs> little boy with the most energy ever. And that's hard for her to go from two different extremes Yes, because she wants to keep those extremes as far away from each other as possible. And, and I believe I heard you say something about that. Uh, Patsy didn't want Scotty to worry about her when she was at work. And yes, like the day that she was assaulted, 
um, she contacted you and other family members to take care of him so that he didn't have to see her beat up, right? Yes, she never wanted uh, Scotty to worry about her. Uh, <laughs> in Scotty's eyes, she was invincible. She was uh, his superhero. So, uh, yeah, that day when uh, she got attacked at work, she had texted uh, my mom and I and just said, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want no, I don't want Scotty to know what happened. Uh, just tell him, you know, I got stuck at work and things like that. Well, she was really going home with a battered face, right? And uh, she didn't want such a innocent, uh, lively soul to see his mother like that. Right. Sure. So uh, he came over with us uh, for a few nights and uh, stayed with us. And what's she doing? She's, you know, alone at her house. Right. Probably just down in the dumps because uh, that boy is really what kept her going and uh, brought her all her energy and uh, livelihood. So having to send him away because uh, he couldn't see what these streets and these people did to her is uh, yeah. definitely going to take a toll on her. Absolutely. Well, you know, you hear um, a lot of people, a lot of officers that, you know, have committed suicide that they, they don't, they don't see, they get so down that they can't see the good things in right. life anymore. Right. It's just like Patsy, even on, on that tragic day, she received an award from fire. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, that, that same day, uh, she went on a call, uh, um, someone had called about, uh, her daughter, they hadn't heard from her in a, in a few days and, uh, she's at home with, um, an infant child. And, uh, so she went over there and, uh, the mother had been deceased for two days. Um, and this, this child was laying there still, you know, still breathing, still alive for two days. No, no care, no water, no food, nothing. Um, just covered in, um, a loaded diaper feces to everywhere, just, an awful scene and nobody everyone was going by the uh the deceased mother and this baby's just laying there so patsy's like you know i mean not to be harsh or anything here but she's dead we have someone who's alive here that we yeah. need to take care of she's she scooped up that uh baby because you know she didn't see something gross or covered in something she saw you know a human being that yeah. uh, she needed to take care of uh she actually took him um gave him a bath uh, got him in new clothes, uh, wow. washed him off, everything, and she just held that baby uh, the entire job. And, you know, <laughs> people, uh, the paramedics came over and said, "You know, you set the baby down. We got him. This, this baby hasn't been held in two days. Like it needs, you know, comfort. It needs right. to be held." And uh, she actually went to the hospital with the baby too, uh, held him there, and uh, that was just the heart she had. And sure. uh, that, yeah. that day is the same day she left us. So it's just. Right. It's crazy to think but, about. But, you know, that's that's who your sister was right there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Her mother that, instincts really exactly. kicked in. And, uh, like Just I a said, big she heart. saw, you know, a precious human being, right. even uh, even when nobody wanted to pick it up or touch it. Well, and probably was thinking of her own child. Exactly. You know. You know 100%. she was. She was even, uh, she was actually texting uh, her boyfriend, uh, sending pictures with the baby, saying, you know, I, want, <laughs> I want to keep him. I want to take him. Oh, <laughs> <so cute>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, but that's just the heart she had, you know. Sure. Yeah, and, sure. uh, it's it's crazy to think about that. Later that night, she uh, clearly went home and just had a lot going on, and just I'm sure saw as awesome as it was for her to take care of that baby and as happy as it made her. I'm sure part of her was like, "Wow, like human beings are left like this, just yeah. alone with nobody right. to care for them." Like you would think within two days, if there's a, a single mother who nobody's heard from, like somebody would you know, go check on them or see what's right. going well, on. I mean, I know, crying. I know yeah. if my family or nobody heard from 
my sister while she was here for two days with Scotty, we'd be like, what? That wouldn't ha- it wouldn't go two days, you sure. know? Right. Sure. So just to see that the, the carelessness for, you know, human beings just, I'm sure it takes a toll on you. Sure and, does. Uh, even though she had a heart that a lot of people didn't still wanted to take care of that baby. I know, uh, I know it definitely adds up to her because she was someone who really felt like she wanted to change everything. She wanted to be in <laughs> control and change the world. And, uh, like I said earlier, you, you learn that you can't change the world, but what you can do there, one person thinks about life, then I'd say you did your job. And uh, she sure changed a whole lot of lives and impacted a lot of people while she was here. And, th- you know, that's one of the things we end all of our trainings with is, you know, I tell them, I said, your objective, of course, the objective I hear now is very different than what I heard 20 years ago. Um, the objective now is they're like, let me make it to retirement. <laughs> and I'm like, no, your objective is to go home every day to your family. But your goal should be to help one person in your career. And everybody we've ever taught has far exceeded that goal. But the problem is, is we train our first responders to be problem solvers. And we forget to tell them they're not going to solve everybody's problems. And that's the, the stuff we see people struggle with. And so maybe if we tell them a little more often you know what? Everyone that you're saving now is is gravy on top of what you've done in this career. You know, we talk about Chris Kyle, American sniper. Um, you know, one of the saddest things he ever said is something to the effect of it's not the ones that I save that keep me awake at night. It's the ones that I couldn't save. And if they're always yeah. looking at the ones they can't save, yeah. Nobody, it's, it's, it's not humanly possible for every cop and every firefighter and every paramedic and EMT to save everybody, but nobody tells yeah. them that. And they they're forgetting, they're forgetting about the good that they did. Yes. They're forgetting about, and I think that just goes along with, uh, having leadership that has your back and it is having a society that has your back and respects you because I see what my sister did and I'm proud of that, but when she's getting, you know, harassed and yelled at and spit on all day yeah. and sees the way that the police are treated, you know, you, you don't even, you don't even feel like you're a human being at that point. You feel like, you know, right. where I'm trying to help you and you, you won't even give me that opportunity, yeah. let alone, like you said about problem solving, you know, what the police can do is they can come help you and, you know, they can arrest somebody who um, is committing a crime. Mm-hmm. But after that, they don't have control over what happens to them. That's right. Everyone has a job to do. So when you take them, you know, and you arrest them and you take them and they go to court and you have a state's attorney that's, you know, constantly letting them back out. You almost feel like, why am I even doing this? Why am I even arresting them knowing that, you know, they're going to be back out? Yeah. And uh, that's the hardest part is like it it almost makes your job feel pointless and worthless when. Right. You're trying to make a difference, and then the other people aren't doing their jobs behind you. They're not promoting justice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm making this that, big effort, and it's going to waste because they'll be out tomorrow. The saddest thing I've ever had officers say, and it breaks my heart every time sitting on my couch, is, Susan, why do I have to die before anybody cares about me and my family? Because, you know, when an officer dies in the line of duty, every uh, oh, the resources pour in and all the attention and what a hero they were and all of the things that they certainly do deserve and the family deserves. And, you know, he said, and and I looked at him and I said, the reality of the matter is, is that's why we're here. We're here to help the ones to keep them going because we need them. They're the only essential element in society. And that's our whole focus. 
because there are lots of groups out there that handle the line of duty death stuff. Um, but we want to make sure officers feel appreciated. We want their families to feel appreciated. You know, I lived it 20 years. Tom was a cop for 27, 27 years. Um, you know, there's just not that level of appreciation. And again, when they were going, how come I have to die before anybody cares about me and my family? That That's heartbreaking. And everyone yeah. we lose, whether it's suicide, again, which I think is still line of duty death or um, you know, murdered or killed in the line of duty, everyone is a huge loss to every one of us, not just the communities they serve. Every every community yep. in this country f- should feel the, that loss. Right. Especially nowadays when we can't get enough people to do this job. And families are very much ignored in this industry as well. And that's something that we strive to change here at Under the Shield. Because they can, you know, I could either be my ex's biggest stressor or biggest stress reliever. Sure. Um, but if we're not training them and teaching them their parts and all of this, they don't really know what to do and they don't know who to reach out to for help. You know, families yeah. are, families see stuff early, but we don't want to jeopardize their jobs. And that's It really hard. seems like, you know, these people, uh, they're heroes, like you said, once they die, once yes. they're gone. Uh, and they should be reminded every single day that they are heroes and what they're doing is, you know, making a difference. And I think that's been my biggest mission since my sister's passed is, uh, letting these officers know that you, you are a hero and I appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, so do a lot of people, even if you don't hear it all the time, Exactly. because I'm sure that they hear a lot more disrespect than support and respect. And, uh, the ones who do support them and respect them and appreciate them. They need to let them know that uh, because, it, you know, it, it, we shouldn't we shouldn't tell them how we feel when it's too late. Right. When, you know, that's it. And uh, we, we should honor their lives well while their lives are, are going. Yes. Are, uh, yeah. Being lived because they need the encouragement and the support and know that they are making a difference because they hear too much from the top and from government and from media and from the loudest mouths in the public, not. Not the majority. It's right. not the majority. It's the loudest no. mouths yep. um, of wanting to, to get rid of them because they're racist, they're this, they're that, they're the other, and that just is so not true. Hey, Ryan, I wanted to ask you about uh, another thing. I read um, that back in May that the Chicago, the city council, they approved an ordinance um, yeah. about, so for officers and firefighters who die by suicide, that it's considered as a line of duty death, and they and they are now starting to give certain benefits. Have you? Yes. So um, that is something that uh, I don't think it should have taken this long, but I'm glad it's happening. Uh, That they are giving officers who die uh, by suicide line of duty death benefits. Um, So I know uh, my sister will be receiving, uh, or well, for Scotty now, will be receiving uh, benefit, monthly benefits from that, death as a result of line of duty has that started have they have they already started doing this and providing the funding for him yes i believe it will if it hasn't started yet i believe it is um in the process of uh beginning now i heard that that only goes on for like a year isn't it like yes so for the her salary for a year um, yeah salary for a year um which i mean i think it should be as as far as they can take it, but at right. least to adulthood you know. of the child. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, 
you know, one year it's, it's going to help for now, but there's still a whole life to live. Right. Uh, and I, and I, you know, they say that they've got some funding for healthcare and schooling and other expenses, but you know, who knows how much that is and, and how do they make that decision? Who gets what? Because, you know, like Scotty, he's only five years old. Right. He, he needs that support and he should get that support for everything that his mom went through. Well, and wasn't there a, something also about, but they have to have been diagnosed PTSD. Was that true? No, that was a different city. That was city. a different city. We yeah. saw. Okay. We were looking at several different places. So any suicide in first responders, basically, That's, they'll pay, but only for a year. What what yeah. what the heck is yeah. that? I mean, it's a good start. It's a start, but yeah, yeah they, it's they, a start. They it's long more. overdue, but uh, yeah, I'd definitely like to see them uh, take it further. Yeah, and because, is it retroactive? You know, yeah, from what I read, they it went back a couple of years. I don't know how far, but yeah, and the the way I see that too is you know she gave seven years of her life yes. to right. serve and protect this community, and uh, once yes. she's gone, you're going to give her a year back, right? It's, yeah, you know. that's exactly. Yeah, it's not yeah. enough. Now, have you spent much time? Because I, there were three, right? Your sister was one of three that committed suicide. Yeah, within CPD. the month of July. Yeah. And yeah. how how much contact do you have with those other families? Yeah, so those two families I haven't uh, specifically been in contact with, but um, there are two families from my neighborhood actually. Um, Ed Doherty uh, passed away. And um, uh, Jeff Troglia also passed away, and uh, I've been in contact with both their families. Uh, great people, just definitely difficult losses that they're dealing with as well. Sure. Um, both of them uh, had children as well, um, both married. Uh, just devastating losses uh, within the community. And uh, I found that, you know, spending time with them, uh, they actually came down for the speech that I gave out at City Hall downtown. Um, well, they I came wondered. with us to honor. Okay, we yeah. saw yeah, pictures. They, they came with us to honor their, uh, okay. honor their loved right. ones as well. Sure. And uh, I think just spending time and being around them was uh, somewhat healing and comforting in a sense. You know, uh, with this happening, it, it almost feels like you feel like an outsider. You right. feel like, uh, like, you know, so many people are reaching out to you for help. And I appreciate that support more than they know. But uh, at the same time, it's like, you know, you feel how are alone. you going to help me if, you, if you've never done this? You <laughs> right, know? So right. I, I found that, you know, speaking to people who have actually uh, been in the same boat is uh, definitely helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, the thing about it, too, and I don't know if those families would be interested, but we'd love to give them a voice. Um, also yes. on a podcast, if you want to pass that on to them, yeah. we want to give anybody yes. a voice that wants to talk about this, whether it's the conditions at CPD, you know, you're running into officers working 44 days and stuff. Again, they can come on as Joe Smith for all we care. Um, exactly. And, you know, it's what, 3,000 of them? Good luck figuring out who that <laughs> is. Um, but, you know, we want to give a voice to anyone there. You know, Tom and I have even talked about coming up there. Um, you know, we wish we could get FOP or something. We would donate an eight-hour training if yeah. somebody would give us the venue and get the word out that we would come up and teach our stuff because we do know it makes a difference. Um, but we'd love to give voices to anyone up there because Chicago is a place that, you know, can get a lot of attention if we give it the right attention, put exactly. a little pressure on some people. Yeah, and I will definitely uh, spread the word as much as I can. And I really do truly appreciate what you guys uh, do and what you guys share and what you guys believe in. And uh, 
the work you guys do is incredible. Well, we're we're going to keep keep doing what we do. <laughs> Again, this is why I work for me, Ryan. <laughs> if I work for anybody else, they'd fire me a hundred times. I fire me yeah. periodically. Control, <laughs> control what you can control, you know. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be a... Uh, you, you don't want a uh, Lori Lightfoot or uh, Kim Fox in charge. Of that, sure. <laughs> you want you want to be you want to be on top. Trust me, because uh, when you give them uh, the power, uh, yeah, you see what happens. In I'd the love city. to yeah. take them on though, because that could actually be fun. Oh yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. May, I may be southern, but let me tell you something. Uh, my background: I worked with lawyers for fifteen years, and again, I, I own the company. So bring it on! I, I'll take you on any <laughs> any time. For anyone who's, you know, not familiar with our mayor, uh, I think what we said earlier just could just describe her simply is the fact that she hasn't reached out or said my sister's name. And any worthless. She hasn't spoke my sister's name or reached out to our family. And as far as I know, same with the other officers. And uh, it's not to me that just that just shows these these are people that you're supposed to be leading for and in charge of. And, yes. You know, the people who are putting their lives on the line to protect your city and uh the fact She's that you can't us. even send your, your condolences yeah. or, you know, show that you actually care about what they did for you and for this city. Uh, That's disgraceful. It, uh, well, and what makes it worse, what, what I think makes it worse is your dad is a lieutenant at that same agency and he's still there working, giving mm -hmm. his heart and soul to that city. My hat's off to him because I'd have burned yeah, the building And that mayor down. can't been, say anything to him. That's, I'd have, I'd have he's been the building back down. at work for a few weeks now. Um, and, uh, How's the treatment? Yeah, I know, and he, it's been, you know, it's going. I mean, I know it's it's hard, definitely, yeah. but uh, he's he he likes he loves what he does, and uh, he's got a job to do, and he knows that. And you know, he's he's mourning and hurting too. I mean, that yeah. was his uh, that was his little girl, but sure, I uh, I really appreciate what he does, and uh, I've always looked up to that. And my mother uh, is also a dispatcher for. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and, uh, <laughs> the work she does is uh, incredible too. And you know, well, and they get forgotten. I had an issue. I know with uh, with my dad. You know, they gave him as much time as he needed until you know uh, his counselor said that he was fit to go back to work right. and things like that. For the OEMC, who my mom works for, is a bit different. They only give you uh, three morning days. You've got to be kidding. Off. So those are those are the, those are those are those are three days paid time off. But after that, my mom now she has not been back to work yet. I mean, she just buried uh, her little girl right. less than two months ago. You know, it's been unbelievably difficult for her. Sure, uh, and she still has other children to take care of, obviously. Um, and uh, yeah, I know now she's using actually her uh, her sick days and her own time to take this time off and. Uh, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think yeah. that they should be uh, giving her her time and uh, showing their appreciation for what her daughter did for this city. But yeah, well, and, and what she's three, doing. I promise three days is not enough to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shake that off and let's to go. Get, what to get everything way? taken care of. See, that's the yeah. problem. It, I mean, we run across dispatchers now a lot, and yes. they get treated like shit. Yes, they they take that initial call, they get invested in it, and then they get officers going and then they get forgotten about and, and the it, next call and they have to go right to the next call without ever finding out that outcome. You know, they get treated poorly. One day when your mom is ready and nobody will know, but her when that day will come. But we also have um, the director of operations here at under the shield has a podcast called dispatch diaries. And it's just starting and it's just getting started. 
But at some point, I think she needs to be on there with Becky and tell yeah. her stories again when she's ready, five years from now, two years from now, whatever it is. Um, make sure your mom has our numbers. She can call us Absolutely. and talk and, you know, and she can even talk to Becky. Becky's one right. of our stress coaches. Uh, Linda Farrar, who is the um, she's head of our fundraising. Um, her son, Chris. Uh, was the one that we talk about on here so much, who was killed in the line of duty April a year ago. But he was suicidal when I first met him almost 10 years ago. And so Linda went through that with him where he was committed and all of that stuff. Um, and she's also a stress coach with us. So that's somebody that your mom can talk to also. Um, but yeah, and your, and your dad, you know, and they don't have to give us their names. Uh, when, yeah, when, thank you. Yeah, when they call in here, we we don't have to have details. And even if they do give us their names, we're not going to tell anybody anyways. Well, heck yeah, I'm 63. <laughs> I'll forget. You know, it, you know, yeah. me and my dementia. It goes right out the window when I need it to. And, uh, speaking of uh, my family too, uh, that's one thing I wanted to add too. Whether it's uh, my brother Timmy, he's a year older than me. Uh, my sister Melissa is actually 15 years older than me. Uh, she has two children children as well, uh, my nephew Connie and uh, my niece Shia, and then my mom and dad, obviously. Um, I just want to, I want people to know that I'm speaking on behalf of all of us, Good. you know, just because um, I'm the one out here speaking about this and trying to make a change. It doesn't mean that they're not hurting too, and they're not right. doing the same exact things. Uh, sure. Everyone handles things differently, and uh, I'm trying to handle it by speaking about it and making a difference, but, you know, not everyone handles things like that. Not everyone's good at talking and things like that. It doesn't mean that they don't want to see change and they don't, sure. you know, they're not dealing with their own problems. So I just want everyone to know that there's, there's more than me out there. Um, sure. I got a whole family behind me yeah. and uh, they're in this fight too. Absolutely. You know, and, and your siblings too, um, they can call Ab us every anytime. I mean, even yes. my wife, she's, she lost her younger brother um, suddenly and tragically so, and she's a stress coach with us, so yeah. she can sympathize and empathize and understand what kind of feelings, you know, you and your siblings are feeling. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we understand you're using a lot of the, the recommended supplements and things. <clears throat> yes. It's definitely helping <laughs> with sleep. Um, yeah, honestly, I, uh, I enjoy going to sleep at night now. At first it was real tough to sleep and, sure. uh, I've noticed lately I've actually been uh, seeing my sister in a lot of dreams I've been having. And uh, some nights I'm just excited to go to sleep because I, <laughs> I keep telling myself there's, you know, there's more. There's more that right. you had to tell me. There's, there's, yeah. you still owe me a goodbye. You owe me. So it just, it, it, the weird part is every time I see her in uh, my dreams, it seems like every time I'm getting closer and closer and closer, I wake up. And it's, it's just, to, to me, to me, to me, it's almost a sign that, you know, she, she didn't want that help. She, uh, she, you can't, you can't blame yourself and say, you know, what could I have done more? Right. Right. How could I have prevented this? Because if she wanted the help, she knew exactly who to call, whether it's me, any of her friends, family members, they would have been there in a heartbeat. Cause that's, that's just how we felt about Patsy. She was, uh, she was the absolute best person and there for everyone at any time. So the fact that she didn't reach out for that help in her darkest moments, um, well, remember. I know it must've been something she yeah, was the problem solver. Really hard. She was yeah. the problem solver. Those are the she hardest. She wasn't the weak one. She was the strong one. And I think that's I think that's one thing I want people to understand is that 
even the strong ones fall. You know, we're right. always looking out for the, the weaker ones and the ones who are asking for help. And we do need to help them too, but sure. it's the ones that are fighting the silent battles that we know nothing about. Yeah. And, uh, and we have to make it best, safe for them to reach yeah. out. And that's, that's Absolutely. the whole thing. And, and the licensed world can say all that they want. And it's not to say there aren't good ones out there. There are, but the reality is, is yeah. they are bound by certain legal requirements with their license. That's all there is to it. But it means we have to expand the resources. And that's been our argument yeah. all along. Peer support, licensed, and the stress coaches in the middle where they know they can call and nobody's going to report anything. That's the key. Yeah, and that's but they can get the that's help. what these officers need. Yeah. Yes, and upper management doesn't like that we don't keep notes and records because they like to have that control. Um, and the bottom line is, is they don't control us at Under the Shield, nor will they ever. And that's why, and, but yet we use the license world. We refer people up when it's necessary, but we have the people we have vetted that we know understand the industry and don't just treat them like a doctor, lawyer, accountant, garbage man, or anybody else. They get it. You know, I think what would be really neat is I know Chicago, um, they now are claiming that they have a, um, a mental health specialist of some type (laughs) for each of their districts. Um, so I would like to see Chicago PD force them to go through like firearms training, do some actual police type training. Do ride alongs. Exactly. Get out there with them. Get out there and see what that job is about so that they can understand what these men and women are going through. Yes. Because like I said, even when I, you know, what I told you, what I found most helpful is speaking with people who have been through what I'm dealing with. And, uh, Absolutely. It's a, it's a lot harder to talk to someone who has no idea what you're going through. And, and you know, you, you feel like you're teaching them rather than right. them helping you. Yes. Well, and then, uh, you know, and I know some of these licensed uh, mental health people may say, well, I've been working with the police for 10 years. So what? Okay. But if you've never held a gun, you've never shot a gun. You don't know what that's like either. You know, if you haven't been on a ride along, you don't know what it's like to be in a car for 10, or 8, 10, 12 hours whether it's sheer boredom or just panic and fear and you name it, what's going on. They need to experience that stuff. And working with them doesn't mean how many of you actually worked with. Exactly. It's easy to put it on the resume. I had one come in in 20 years (laughs) Um, or the PD has me listed as part of the EAP. Right. Yeah. But have you really worked with them? Yeah. And it, and again, I go back to the sports psychologist. Yeah. It takes specialization and until, the world understands that we're going to continue to have the same battles and the same problems. Just like your sister wound up being the counselor to her counselor. We've heard this numerous yeah. times, numerous times. We've got one that teaches with us that was ambushed, shot and killed the guy. And the counselor wanted to see the body cam. It's 11 seconds, Ryan. Daytime shooting, no blood, no guts, a dead body on the stairs, big whoop. And um, the counselor started crying. When he showed her the video and he's like, ma'am, let me take that video out. And now, we don't ever have to deal with this again. I am so sorry. And now he becomes the her counselor. therapist yeah, right. and says, I can't talk to her about dead bodies and stuff I've seen. So that one gets yeah, marked off ridiculous. the list. It is crazy. And my response mm-hmm. when I watched it the first time was that was a hell of a reload with a round through your arm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was, yeah. pretty, you know, good for you. But And I think what these counselors need to understand, too, is that when these officers are willing to come see them and come talk to them. One, they're taking time out of a very busy and hectic schedule. And two, that's a huge step for a lot of people, yes. you know, yes. they're, the, they're the tough ones and they're the ones who 
want to deal with life on their own and things got too rough to where they're finally seeking help. And that, that showed strength right there. So they need to understand what a big step for him, for them that it is to go see them and to give them their full time, full undivided attention and give them the best help that they can. And in order to give the best help that they can, like you said, there needs to be training. There needs to be preparation. Um, because I mean, they need to think of it as someone's coming in here who, not, not everyone's suicidal, but I would treat it as someone's coming in here who might not want to be here anymore. And my job is to tell them why they belong. Yes. That's yeah. the way I see it. Yeah. And uh, Well, it's like Susan says, you know, you can you can read any psycho- or every psychology book and get all the training, you know, in that field. But that's not going to teach you how to deal with this population, the first responder group. Because the lifestyle is so different than anything they can even comprehend. Well, I said they're crazy to do their jobs in the first place, but that doesn't mean mentally ill. <laughs> We've MMP out at Tom's batshit crazy um, <laughs> and still is, even though he's retired, but whatever. She just says that because I used to ride a motorcycle Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and he's probably a jerk and wrote lots of tickets and whatever, and his killer boots, man. Um, but the reality is, is <clears throat> this is a population that's already out of the box. And what they're taught and what I was taught, I've got a master's in counseling, and that's why I realize all this, was what they were teaching me was generic for the general population, not the people that have to deal with all the crap that first responders deal with. Plus, they are ADD or ADHD, which means they're higher IQ. They're adrenaline junkies, but they're caregivers, more importantly, that creates a very strong internal conflict. And so you have to understand those things. You can't apply the things you learned in a book, especially that DSM-5 or whichever version we're in now, um, they don't fit that. So it's, you, you got to specialize in it, just like athletes don't. You know, same thing for athletes. And it's just really sad that they can't grasp this and they get mad at me and I'm some quack who doesn't <laughs> know what you're talking about because I'm not licensed. I didn't take a test. That's That's the only difference. And so it's very frustrating on our end because – they, I don't know if they feel threatened by us or what it is. Don't yeah, really don't care, know. to be honest with you, because we don't make much money here. It's never been about money. It's about helping a population that without them, where would we all be? Yeah. yeah. And you have key. to know, you have to know, and, you know, each specific person you help is coming from a different background and a different uh, profession. So like you said, you know, they're not just helping some average person. They're helping, you know, people who are seeing some very disturbing and traumatic scenes. And uh, that, that's not the same as somebody else getting help. Not that their help doesn't matter. Right. But, you know, you have to, you have to specialize to each specific person you talk to that it's not all the same, you know, and you, they can't, make you tough can't tell decisions. each person the same exact thing. Right. That, right. Then it's not coming from the heart. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, they have to make tough decisions and you got to get some exposure, learn the personality types, all that kind of stuff. And you can only do that. By being around them, getting involved with them—that's yeah. it. And yeah, you have to be—you have to become familiar with what you're dealing with. Sure, sure. You know, this is a podcast. We 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 have to do another <laughs> episode of this too because I do want to bring up what an amazing boxer you are too. Now, come on, we got to get your—we got to get the athlete in here a little bit. Yeah. So what's this? Yes. What's this? Uh, who who's related to the Ali's that? Uh, that you, <laughs> yeah. that you beat? Yeah. <laughs> Come on yeah, and brag on so, yourself a little bit here. Yeah. So um, I currently have 15 fights as a boxer. Uh, 
I'm boxing for Ohio State now. Uh, <coughs> Not, uh, we'll, we'll overlook that. Uh, but that's okay. We'll overlook that. We, we like you anyway. I started out my training with a guy, uh, Dan Letts, um, back home. He's basically uh, become like an older brother to me. Uh, he's been there for me through it all. Um, helped me not only become a great fighter, but helped me, you know, with real life scenarios. Uh, he taught me a whole lot more about life and growing up than uh, he taught me about boxing. So uh, That's I train with him. Um, and then when I'm out here, I obviously have uh, my coaches here um, working with a guy named Phil Vaughn. And then uh, Nat Scheinman's the president uh, or former president, but still uh, still works with our club out here too. Uh, great people to be around. Uh, I truly believe I've met some of the best people in the world through this sport. I think it's something that uh, we're talking about mental health here. Uh, I think it's something that everyone needs uh, in their life. Sure. Um, you'd be surprised what uh, going into a gym and uh, beating up a bag can That's do for right. you. Especially, <laughs> especially for people. Yes. And I'd say that especially for, for the strong ones, for the sil- the ones fighting their silent battles who aren't who don't want to talk to someone and you yeah. know feel right. like they, they don't have the words to say uh, – I think it's a great clear your mind. Uh, we recommend that for me and uh, my sister was out there every single fight. Yep, that's yeah. that's one my of our. My sister was out there every single fight. My biggest fan. Sure. Yeah, she <laughs> no, cheer me on. Uh, I recommend every cop get a a bag and gloves. It's a great thing to teach your kids when they're frustrated. Go out there and take yeah. it out in the bag. It's it's um, gets rid of adrenaline. Yeah, and it it can help in a whole lot of ways. I I was known for doing that when my son is a marine was overseas and I get all spun up at night worrying about him. So I'd go to the gym and punch and kick a bag. Like, I mean, I had pictures on it <laughs> I, I, and the yeah. cops, cops in that area knew if Susan's car is there at night, the gym zone, a light's room, don't come in that building because I'm probably <laughs> yeah. fussing about some of them. But um, no, I think it's great. When is your next fight? Uh, so I'm looking to come back in October. I actually, uh, I injured my hand just before uh, nationals this past spring. Uh, our nationals are in April. Um, I actually uh, messed up my wrist. I had uh, a broken hand last year, so I've had a lot of hand injuries lately. Um, I just finished up physical therapy this summer, so uh, getting back into the swing of things. Got Good. back to uh, training last week, full go. I mean, I was still training, but it's different when you're actually punching and right. getting to work. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I, I plan to return uh, October. Will be uh, hopefully my next fight. That'll be fight number sixteen, and uh, see where that takes us. Hopefully, get a national championship this spring. We'll be we will be following that. And something tells me that your fight in you is going to be um, a little more motivating. That you're going to have your sister's yeah. memory involved <laughs> in this somehow. Very uh, very meaningful. There's you know I always say uh, every person if you want if you want to be a fighter. Or, just in life, you got to have a why. You got to have a reason right. as to sure. whatever you're doing. There's there, there's got to be a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's going to be no purpose and no motivation and right. no no drive. work ethic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I was always fighting for things like making a difference and finding a finding a platform to uh, speak about what I believe in, and you know, um, fighting for the people I love and things like that. But uh, now I feel like losing a loved one, especially someone you know that's young i always thought that old people are supposed to die you know you don't you don't expect someone uh this close to you so right i'll be fighting for her every single time i go out there and uh 
Not only that, you know, after my fights and things like that, when I get that microphone, I want to use that time to let her not be forgotten and uh, to let, you know, our officers and our first responders and just anyone out there going through a hard time, I want them to know that they matter and uh, there's a reason that they're here. And uh, Well, something tells me your sister's going to be in your ear (laughs) going, come on now. (laughs) Stop dropping that left hook there. Yeah, she was was always the loudest one in the crowd. So, uh, actually, I have her badge number uh, tattooed on my arm now. Good deal. I'll bring her uh, with me everywhere I go. uh, Sure. I'll put uh, everything that she gave to this city and uh, into her 29 years of life. I want to take that into the ring with me and uh, honor her. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, we are here for you. Absolutely. Anytime. And your whole family. Yeah, and, and anytime you, your family needs us, you can always reach us. We're, we're, we'll help you in any way and support you. Uh, and, and we'll be big fans of your boxing career, too. Yeah, we'll be following you. So we'll be calling when <laughs> we see you making guys. mistakes. <laughs> I'm going to call you and go, now, wait a minute, Ryan. What, what was that about? <laughs> and, uh, Seriously, though, it really does mean the world to uh, me and my family and you know, I want to say thank you to not only you guys, but also just everybody who's been reaching out. The sure. outpour of support and appreciation for my sister has been nothing short of incredible. And uh, I can't thank everyone enough for that. And uh, like I've said before, to anyone who's going through something, having a dark time or just dealing with something that they don't really see the light anymore, or sure. see a way out of it, uh, just know that it does get better. And uh yeah. I'm happy that you're still here, and uh, I hope you find that why that I was talking about, that that's something to fight for, and uh, just keep pushing through one day at a time. You know, you, can, uh, you can't keep thinking about, you know, the past or what you could have done, and you can't uh, look too far ahead towards the future because you're going to stress yourself out. It's one day at a time, being the best person you could be, doing what you can, controlling what you can control, and uh, the rest will take care of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And as we wrap this up, I hope the audience is is hearing what Ryan is saying. And again, we reiterate it over and over. I think at the end of every show, you know, at Under the Shield, we appreciate all the sacrifices that our first responders make um, because we know it, it is a fight. And that's exactly why we named this podcast Fight in Progress. It can be emotional, physical, family, right. public, whatever. And that fight's only getting harder every day. Absolutely. And that's why we're here 24-7, 365. Um, call us on our crisis line at 855-889-2348. When you hit extension one, we do not even have your phone number. Um, we want to be able to maintain the anonymity that is so important. And if we get disconnected, you yes. have to call us back because we don't have your number. We have no way of reaching you. And my cell number, if you want to talk to me directly, 334-324-3570. And my phone number, 480-861-6574. And this goes for families. Also, we know that you see things that concern you, but you can't reach out to the departments. And so call us, let us, let us see how we can help. Right. Um, sometimes we can make recommendations. There are things that families go through, been there, done that. And uh, all of our stress coaches are here to help. And we have pretty much every thing you can imagine, I think, covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes we're even shocked at how many things we cover. But always please reach out to us. If you don't want to talk to me, you don't want to talk to Tom, but you want to talk 
to one of our other stress coaches, we'll especially the dispatch, up. fire, whatever. We'll certainly get you connected. Yep. And uh, again, Ryan, thank you. I, I tell you, you're you're my hero, dear, because I'm not sure at 21 I wouldn't have just been burning <laughs> down buildings, but <clears throat> that's me. Um, thank you guys so much for having me, and uh, a big thank you again to all our police officers, yes. first responders, military. Uh, yes, you guys are all the heroes of uh, this world, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. So I, I really appreciate what you guys do. Absolutely. And uh, next week, I don't know, it's going to be another mystery guess. I guess we'll figure it out. Um, it is. It's probably on the calendar. I just don't know what it is. Right. But, uh, Ryan, hang on with us because we do want to talk to you about some things. And um, we will see you guys next time. We love you. We appreciate you. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. 